TJ and I have been going through the Transitional Book of Doctrines and Discipline for the Global Methodist Church for several weeks now. This is going to be episode seven. We are about halfway through the whole thing. The The first bits, we could cover a lot of ground because it's stuff that we didn't belabor. We're going to come back and, and belabor the doctrine bit because it's it's super important. For right now, we figured a lot of people just want to know how to be in good covenant with the GMC, and uh, I actually heard back from someone on the TLC this last week saying, hey, we just adopted what we came out of because we're aware that that we shouldn't author a whole lot as it is, and we're going to augment it at our first convening conference. So I took that to mean, first off, if there's something you don't like, don't get too worked up. Things are going to change. But secondly, I mean, there's a lot of good worth holding on to or functional. So what we're going to talk about today is a functional setup for your church. It's optional. As we covered last week, there is a single board model, which you can utilize for your church. It's what I've got for the two churches that, that I serve. I like that. But if you have a church of any size, medium to larger, there's a whole setup of different committees that can be useful to you. And so on the front end, we should just say, I should just say, committees can often be soul-draining work, depending on who you have on the committees, how you're spending the time. Uh, Jesus did not die for us so that we could spend our time serving on committees. Rather, there's much more important stuff that happens, but without central coordination and discipline, a lot of our efforts can actually work at cross-purposes and do harm. So you have to have some kind of organization. As, as I, I learned long ago, every church has a liturgy and worship. Also, every single church has a power structure, whether or not it's written out. Uh, there is no way for churches not to have a power structure. There is no way for a church not to have, if not official committees, then unofficial committees and uh, centers of, of power and authority. So in the United Methodist Church and now in the Global Methodist Church, they, they have systematized how it is that all of the different bases should get covered. And so we're going to talk about, starting at paragraph 343 today, we're going to go through the church council and, and some of the different committees that are supposed to be in place. But even if your church has a single board model, this is still going to be useful to you because it stipulates a lot of the different work that churches should be doing that many are not. And you might say, well, we're doing everything we need to be. It, it might be worth having a little bit of humility and going, hey, maybe there's stuff that we should have our eyes on that we don't. Maybe instead of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, there are some things from the United Methodist Church that are worth holding on to and insisting upon lest our churches get lazy or irresponsible in some fashion. So I just want to plant that in your ear. We're going to spend less than an hour on it uh, today because I've got a meeting i got to get to. Uh, but before we dig into it, TJ, anything else left to say before we, we start reading and thinking? No, I think you covered it all. Let's just get into it. Okay, here we go. Paragraph 343, the Church Council. Uh, I'll read point one, and then I'll let TJ talk a bit. The Church Council, or its equivalent governing body, shall provide for planning and implementing a ministry of evangelizing and spreading scriptural holiness through nurture, outreach, witness— that acronym is N-O-W, you're going to see these more, and resources in the local church. It shall also provide for the administration of its organization and temporal life. It shall envision, plan, implement, and annually evaluate the mission and ministry of the church. The church council shall be amenable to and function as the administrative agency 
of the charge conference. All right, any anything to clarify there? Um, no, I think that's just basic. You need a council. Um, I, I do, I guess, kind of think it's interesting that uh, it's it's the job of the church council to uh, make a plan for evangelizing. I feel like a lot of that's thrown on the pastor most of the time. And the, they're like, oh, pastor guy, we're paying yeah. you, figure it out. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know if that's how you feel about it. Yeah, no, what, what we've seen in a lot of points is, okay, so it does put a lot of things on the pastor that I've kind of said, this is the job of the church, but also it tries to put things on the laity and the church right. leadership that, that most churches just go, ah, let the pastor do it. So the problem is that we're going to run into, well, we've already run into it, is just because you put it in writing doesn't mean people do it. Right. So we we want to put it in the Book of Discipline and then have churches do it, but then what are you going to do if they go, no, no, we just let the pastor be in charge of evangelization. Do we punish a church in any way, you know? Well, I mean, there's not really anything they can do at this point because they got rid of the trust clause. Like, that was the underlying threat in the United Methodist Church with mm-hmm. the trust clause. We'll take your building and put a new pastor in, and they don't really have that option. Now. Yeah, I was talking with, um, there are a couple really big churches in the area that are reticent to join the GMC, and uh, I went to a, a meeting last week where I said, I don't understand the reticence. They can't do anything to you if yeah. things go wrong. You can just leave, you know, so so you don't like how they do money. You don't like how they do one thing or another. It, there's a lot that's going to be changing. Why exactly are you afraid to join? Oh, well, we're we're interested in how apportionments work or how appointments work or how bishops work. Well, if you don't like it, you can just leave. But oh, yeah. in the meantime, you're spending all this anxiety and um, yeah, without the trust clause, without them being able to seize your assets, they're very limited in what they can do. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I mean, I, I see the the usefulness of the trust clause. I'm not advocating to. Okay, we should need a trust clause in the GMC. Like, I'm I'm still weary of weary leery of that. Um, well, yeah, there's there's no way we're gonna have the trust clause in the GMC like ever. There's yeah. having been burned the way that we are, even if it can be shown to empirically benefit a connection, nobody's going to have. There's just no way that's yeah. going to happen. So, but you know, the 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 notion is. I remember I served on a committee here in town that was trying to affect public policy because the notion was when you have a policy put in place, people are are more prone to abide by it, and so that that undergirds this whole understanding that we just need to get the writing right, and then things will fall into place. But I think what you found in the United Methodist Church was we had the best doctrine, we had the best book of discipline, it still could not com- uh, make people conform to it without a strong hand at the top. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's. Um, the the only other thing I wanted to highlight about this portion, I, I mean, I love that they talked about evangelism. I also like that they were explicit. There should be um, annual. What did they call it? Review. They should annually evaluate the mission and ministry of the church. That's not something that a lot of churches do very well. They just start something and then they just let it go until it craps out after doing all kinds of damage. Yeah. But if you have proactive leadership, then you can stay on top of everything that you built? Is it meeting our objectives? Is it meeting its goals? Is it doing what we intended it to do? How does it need to be augmented? That kind of proactive leadership makes a big difference in a church. All right. Uh, Would you read point two, TJ? Uh, Mission and ministry. Um, Nurture, outreach, and witness ministries and their accompanying responsibilities include A, 
the nurturing ministries of the congregation uh, shall give attention to, but not be limited to, education, worship, Christian formation, membership care, small groups, and stewardship. Attention must be given to the needs and uh, needs of individuals and families of all ages. Point B, the outreach ministries of the church shall give attention to local and larger community ministries of compassion, justice, and advocacy. Point C, the witness ministries of the church shall give attention to developing and strengthening evan- evangel- evangelistic, I don't know why that <laughs> threw me off today, okay, evangelistic efforts of sharing personal and congregational stories of Christian experience, faith, and services. Communications, certified lay ministers, and other means that give expressions of witness for Jesus Christ. D, the leadership development and resourcing ministries shall give attention to the ongoing preparations and development of lay and clergy leaders for the ministry of the church. Okay, let's time out there. That was all of point two, and you'll see uh, I wrote out to the side on the left, Nurture, Outreach, and Witness. This is an acronym that really got heavily promoted Whenever they, uh, I don't know if it was while they rolled out this theology. What there actually is theology around how we've we the, the United Methodist Church organized their committees, and I wanted to um, show everybody they actually generated some. They were called the guidelines series, and it was a whole pamphlet. Oops, it was a whole pamphlet that they published that would help churches know how to do each committee right. Um, So I guess I saved that one at the end of it, but there were these, you could buy this whole compendium that costed money and I was too poor for it. So I found uh, PDF versions online just from various places, but they line out very well the theology of what it is that we're doing whenever we serve on these committees, the principles that guide us, um, helpful infographics as to how this is all supposed to work together. There was a lot of thought, actually, that went into this. I feel like they explain, you know, you see scriptural citations there. This is the one on the, the church council. I feel like most of them explain, yeah, nurture, outreach, outreach and witness, the NOW uh, tripartite uh, ministry that is supposed to be had, not just there, but throughout the church. Um, so a lot of thought and energy went into this that now, I, I don't know how many people really understand that we've left a lot behind in the United Methodist Church that um, I, w- I would argue actually never got a f- uh, an earnest trial. I, d- I mean, I don't know that all the churches ever signed on and were like, yes, we're going to do committees this way, and we're all going to read the pamphlet, and we're going to do it how it says. And I, you know, part of me wants to go, well, let's just do a really good effort at it now, and then part of me goes, nah, that's just not how people work. That's not how the church is going to work. What do you think about it? I mean, I think, I think it would be interesting to just get an idea, like if you've never been on a council or anything before, just like, okay, this is what a church council does. You've got it written down in a book. Let's, if not, like going step by step, like take some points from it. I don't think that's fine. I think it's good a good resource to have. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, there's there's a surprising amount. Well, a lot of people are going to be surprised just at all of this the things that it explicitly points out in the book of discipline that your committee should be doing. A lot of people who serve on a committee just have a broad understanding. This is basically, you know, board of trustees it takes care of the stuff. Yeah. Finance it takes care of the money. There's not 
necessarily an awareness that a lot of the particulars have been designed. You're supposed to actually... Um, I remember back in the day when I took this real seriously, when I was doing a ministry in Idaho, I would construct a yearly timeline. We needed to have this many meetings, uh, probably one per quarter, and at each one we need to take care of all these different kinds of business, and throughout the year we're taking care of. Most churches that I'm aware of don't do that at all, Um, especially if you have a single board model. It's just show up. I don't even know many churches that have an agenda go out beforehand. And, you know, just take care of the pressing needs of the day and then figure the rest out in the in-between time. That's not the picture you get here uh, when you see it spelled out the way it's supposed to be. So the way they break it down is nurture, outreach, and witness. All three of these areas need to be attended to. And then the fourth one was have an eye out towards clergy. Uh, So, and then that's all of, of point two. Perhaps, uh, yeah, I've, uh, would you do point, yeah, yeah, yeah three, three is not long at all. Yeah, three is meetings. So, A, the council shall meet at least quarterly. The chairperson or the pastor may call special meetings. B, it is recommended that the council make decisions by trying to achieve a consensus driven by the Holy Spirit. If in the option, opinion, opinion well... I'm just not on it today. If, in the opinion of the chair, a consensus cannot be achieved, then the council may make a decision by voting with the simple majority as the standard. So consensus means everybody agrees. Right. A lot of people don't realize um, in committee work, you're not going for a majority. You're going for everybody on board together. Everybody's seeing the same picture. Everybody, you only want to have a division if a consensus cannot be reached. And a lot of times, the wisdom is put it off till the next meeting so you can seek a consensus in between, Um, which I actually think is really wise. There's a real sick feeling whenever there's a division in the body and a clear, just a simple majority wins. And then some, uh, uh, I don't know the word that I'm looking for. well, I mean, what it often results in is individuals who say, resentment. "Well, I I was not oh, resent me." Yeah. Yes, I was I was not part of that decision. I stand against it. I'm right. not happy with that. And then it undercuts the whole work of the committee whenever you have individual members saying, "No, no, 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 this was not good." Yeah. And and sometimes it's right to expect for someone to say to not speak against it, even though in the meeting they were against it. But other times, like if you're forcing things through, then there need to be people saying, "No." We did not reach consensus on that. That was just the pastor or whoever forcing their thing through. What is that? What you were talking about when you're talking about resentment? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, if you got somebody that's got their idea that's completely different from the rest of the the border um, committee, and they're just like belligerent, and they they want this, and this is the way it's going to be, mm-hmm. and they get overruled, then you're going to create some resentment there, and it's just going to foster some kind of. I don't know, maybe distrust. No, it could it could cause all kinds of things. Well, and even if it's not like a, I've got to have it my way, even if it's just a normal person, like you remember whenever we were going through, uh, what was that, the Eastern Pennsylvania Annual Conference, and Bishop Scholl was just like wasting time on a bunch of unnecessary stuff, and then he would cram other stuff in and force it through, right, and yeah. they're, you know, very reasonable people would be right on the tail end to go, Scholl didn't do that right. Uh, so... It, Sometimes, yeah, there are people who just got to have it their own way. Other times, I mean, there's just such a thing as good leadership that if you don't allow for a good deliberation on the front end, you are going to have resentment. 
All right. Sure. Yeah, that's good. Uh, point four. Go ahead. Other responsibilities. It will be the responsibility of the church council to A, review the membership of the local church, B, fill interim vacancies occurring among the lay officers of the church between sessions of the annual charge conference, C, establish the budget on recommendation of the financial committee or its equivalent body and ensure adequate provision for the financial needs of the church. D, recommend to the charge conference the salary and other reenumerations remunerations of the pastor, pastors, and staff staff members after receiving recommendations from the pastor parish or staff parish relations committee or its equivalent bodies. E, review the recommendations of the pastor parish relations committee, pastor parish, parish relations committee, regarding provisions of adequate housing for the pastor and report the same to the charge conference for approval. Housing provisions shall comply with the annual conference housing policy and parsonage standards. Housing shall not be considered as part of compensation or enumerations except to the extent provided for in denominational pensions and benefit plans. Seems like a lot. What does that mean? That last sentence? The last point. So it's saying housing doesn't count as part of your pay, or am I reading that wrong? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's that's what it means. So like if uh, if a church has uh, a parsonage that's worth a ton of money, and if you were uh, to pay rent for it, it'd be worth like 5000 a month or something. Right. They can't like deduct that from your total paycheck. You're still entitled to a certain base pay as a pastor of uh, a global Methodist church. Okay, they haven't sense. come up with minimum pay yet. They will, um, but again, what happens if they refuse to match it? Um, so you think the the GMC is going to, as a like a conference or a whole, set a minimum? This is what you have to pay your pastor. Yeah, like that's what the United could... Methodist Church did per, in the annual conference. They they uh, they didn't call it minimum pay. They called it something else. But yeah, there's there's a, a conference commission or committee that comes up with uh, the bare minimum that any of their clergy, full time clergy, or I think they even talk about part time clergy, how much they can. But the church still pays that. Yeah. So what if a church says, "I don't, we don't have enough members. We still want to be a church." This is what we can afford. It's uh-huh. way below the minimum. What do yeah. they do then? So then they either give you a part-time clergy and then just say, look, the, they're only going to be doing bare minimum. Don't ask them to do any more. Or they might say, if you're going to insist on a full-time clergy and that you don't have to pay them fully, well, then we just probably can't have you be a part of our conference. Well, how much is the annual conference going to be involved in picking a pastor? Uh, they're, they're responsible for overseeing the appointment process, so they're not going to be as heavy-handed about it as the United Methodist Church, but they will line up uh, all the different clergy that might be a good fit, arrange for interviews, arrange for the conditions on which they're brought in. If uh, they need it or, like, just overall? So they're they're not going to be doing what the United Methodist Church does or did. I don't think the UMC really does it anymore, but there was just a regular itinerancy where they just shuffled the deck regularly right. so that— they're not going to be doing that anymore, but there will be plenty of situations where a pastor says, you know, I'm, I'm kind of done with this church. I think they need somebody else. Or where a church says, you know, we, we're ready for new blood. And at that case, they're not going to be congregational where they just go on their own search. Rather, 
they're going to be deferring, uh, soliciting the, the aid of the annual conference to facilitate finding a new candidate for ministry there. Okay. Okay. Fair, fair enough. You're satisfied. Yep. That's fun. I love when TJ's satisfied. <laughs> okay. Well, um, you've been reading... Oh, well, we you didn't even to... talk about point four. Um, so it, it talked about basic things that the the committee... So it already had the now stuff, nurture outreach witness, looking for new clergy. It talked about how often the meetings should be, how they should be conducted, seeking consensus. Now in point four, it's other responsibilities, and it's basically... Yeah, um, membership. Review the membership. Yeah, we fill talk- vacancies in the lay people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then recommend a charge conference. Let let the, recommended salary. Let yeah, the recommended salary thing. Uh, look at let the finance committee report to you. Let the pastor parish relations committee report to you. You see, trustees isn't on there. Trustees actually kind of operates as its own entity in some weird ways, which we probably won't get to today. Um, but, um, is there, I don't think there's anything else to say about this. It's, it's the, it's the main place that all the different committees come and report to. I think that's a helpful way to look at the church council. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'll read point five. Point five, membership. The charge conference will determine the size of the church council. Members of the church council shall be involved in the mission and ministry of the congregation. The membership of the council may consist of as few as eight persons or as many as the charge conference deems appropriate. The membership shall include but not be limited to the chairs of the committees responsible for pastor parish relations, the finance of the church, the management of the church's property and assets, the lay leader, the lay member of the annual conference, and all appointed clergy. So um, things that we've talked about in, in previous episodes that are worth uh, re- restating here. One is that the charge conference is largely the exact same group as the church council, but it has retired clergy added into it, and then um, the supervising uh, elder, presiding elder is, is there as well, officiating, although not uh, voting. Um, the other thing to remind, uh, oh, uh, there is a single board model where all of this stuff can be combined, and you don't have these separate committees. So if, <clears throat> if we're talking about a single board, then obviously uh, eight persons is a minimum on the single board model. Uh, in some super small churches like the Delaware Church that I serve, finding eight people <laughs> is a challenge. So, sure. And so at that point, it's worth considering combining with another um, church if you are to maintain uh, status, which is something that the Delaware Church is, is looking at. Anything else to say about that section? No, I don't think so. Okay, uh, point six is uh, regarding the quorum, the members present voting at any duly announced meeting shall constitute a quorum. Okay, easy enough? I think so. Okay. Then we are on to the next section, section eight, local church administrative committees. So it's going to go down uh, the the names and responsibilities of each committee. I was going to skip over this, but then in the sections afterwards, it makes reference back to things covered oh. in this section. So um, you tried, yeah, I sort of tried. Anytime you skip something, there's just going to be something lost. Right. And if we're going to do this thing, let's just do it right. And it's not going to be a waste of time. The first thing right off, it covers nominations and leadership development committee. 
A lot of people never took the time to understand this. They don't realize that this is actually the most influential committee in the church. They, yeah, I know nothing about it, so it's it'll be helpful to to go over it, I guess, because I haven't, I haven't ever read this before. Yeah, yeah. I'm not in any on any committees or the board, so. Yeah, yeah. The well, and you're you're kind of a one man committee now, taking on the constituency role and and doing the <laughs> things that you've done. So, um, but nominations and leadership development committee. Well, I'll, I'll read the paragraph and then explain to you why it's the most um, influential committee in the church. Um, as this is paragraph three forty four. As the charge conference determines, there may be elected annually by that conference a nominations and leadership development committee or its equivalent that is composed of professing members of the local church or the committee's responsibilities may be assigned to a different group. The responsibility of this committee is to identify, develop, deploy, evaluate, and monitor Christian spiritual leadership for the local congregation. Members of the committee shall engage in and be attentive to developing and enhancing their own Christian spiritual life in light of the mission of the church. In conducting its work, the committee shall engage in biblical and theological reflection on the mission of the church, the primary task and the mission ministries of the local church. It shall provide a means of identifying the spiritual gifts and abilities of the church's members. The committee shall work with the church council or equivalent body to determine the diverse ministry tasks of the congregation and the skills needed for leadership. A lot of words basically saying, this is the crew that has an eye on the whole church body and is discerning the different gifts and graces of each individual person. Interesting. Do we have one of those? Technically. I mean, we're a small church. Right. So, I mean, the, 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 yeah, that makes sense for a, a very a large church. Like, you got a whole council of people that can just, like, go over and look at the different members and see what their gifts are. Mm-hmm. But for smaller churches, I assume it's left up to the pastor. No, there's still a nominations committee. Oh. It just usually... So even in large churches, usually the nominations and leadership development committee is not meeting year-round to to do this. Usually it's just a, a crew thrown together last minute that says, who can we stuff onto these different committees that we've got? That's how it usually works, but that's not the way it's designed. It's designed to be something that is operating year-round to identify gifts and graces of different people and even uh, send people to conferences and equip them for ministry in the local church. It's one of these things that was designed well, but rarely implemented very well. No, I have no comment. (laughs) Well, it gets into more particulars here. Point A, the Nominations and Leadership Development Committee shall serve throughout the year to guide the church council on matters regarding the leadership other than the employed staff of the congregation, so as to focus on mission and ministry as the context for service. It shall guide the development and training of spiritual leaders, recruit, nurture, and support spiritual leaders, and assist the church council in assessing changing leadership needs. So the notion here is that leadership is not something that people magically know how to do, Rather, it needs to be fostered and nurtured and affirmed and augmented along the way. And if you let a pastor be responsible for all of that, then um, it just becomes the pastor's baby, and, and there's this narcissistic inclination that pastors have to, to only have people do what they want and mirror them, and, and that's what a lot of churches turn into, uh, just a cult of the pastor, especially as we have long-term appointments and we don't shuffle the deck. Right. 
But here you see this committee is supposed to be reading, meeting regularly throughout the year and focusing on developing leadership so that it doesn't become the pastor show. And you have no thoughts on that, and that's I fine. I really don't. I mean, it sounds good. Yeah. Okay. Point B, the committee shall recommend to the church conference, charge conference at its annual session the names of people to serve as officers and leaders of designated ministries of the church council required for the work of the church and the transitional book of doctrines and discipline of the church requires or as the charge conference deems necessary to its work. So it's supposed to be on an annual basis. It's not ongoing that we're keeping these committees stuffed. Although if somebody falls off, then you can put put somebody on. But um, it, yeah, the next part shows something that's interesting. Point C, the pastor shall be the chairperson. A layperson elected by the committee shall serve as the vice chairperson of the committee. So this is the most important role in the church because it decides who's in charge. As we're going to make our way through here, the cultural expectation is that you don't have the same person in a position, the same position of power for longer than three years. Mm. So you decide, this committee that is chaired by the pastor decides who's in charge of the different committees. Okay. So the reason that this is so important is it keeps... The, in almost every church, there are personalities that claim, you know, the chair of trustees. I'm in charge of all this stuff. Oh, you know, we have to go through Mr. So-and-so because he's been chair of trustees for 20 years. Or you got, you know, I've been the treasurer. So-and-so's been the treasurer for 20 years. It's her baby. No, the system is designed so that the pastor is constantly able to shuffle the deck for his or her uh, desires. So if a pastor, it's like membership. How we talked about if 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 regular membership inventories were done as the Book of Discipline allowed pastors to do, they wouldn't have had all these issues with people showing up last minute to ruin the votes when disaffiliation came. Similarly, if pastors are smart about how they run the nominations committee, they will not have any people that are compromising the power structure of the church. They can just say, "Look, the Book of Discipline, trans- doctrines and discipline says we got to rotate people." I got to rotate you out. I'm happy to put you on this other committee. The nominations committee is happy to train you for that. But, um, you know, the only one in a permanent position of power is the pastor or other hired staff. So it, it if if done correctly, keeps churches from being uh, run by sticks in the mud. It's assuming you have enough people to shuffle around constantly and have somebody new. I mean, at some point you're just going to rehash the same person. Yep. Well, and as as I'm talking about this, you know, we've had the same church council chair for, I don't know, at least four years. We've had the same treasurer for since before I got here. So I don't do this perfectly, but also yeah. the people in our church don't throw their weight around. Right. So this is this is to put a check on bad lay people. But yeah, one of the limitations would be if you don't have enough people to do this with. So it, this structure works best for a church of over 100, I think. Yeah. Um, point D, to secure experience and stability, the membership may be divided into three classes, one of which would be elected each year for a three-year term. Retiring members of the committee shall not succeed themselves. Only one person from an immediate family residing in the same household shall serve on the committee. When vacancies occur during the year, successors shall be elected by the church council. So this is just the nominations committee. Um but it, this principle of having three-year classes, you saw, you ask people to serve for three years, and then some retire 
every year and get filled by others, and then nobody can come right back on. That's the general rule to keep people from taking over. This is like the one before. It sounds great until you've got a small church. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the final point under paragraph 344 is, uh, let's see, was this point one? I don't um, understand the notation system here, but anyway, this is E. In uh, the identification and selection process, care shall be given that the leadership of ministries reflects, you guessed it, uh, inclusivity and diversity. Of course. Of course. Got to have the youth on there. <laughs> yeah, is it just the youth? Yeah, we that was... Well, no, that's the one I hit on, we hit on last week for sure. Oh, man, we hit on that hard, yeah. 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 There was a nice lady who, who pushed back on that and said, look, as a youth, I had this experience in the church. It was great. And... And I said, yeah, I mean, that's great for you, but I mean, like, what happens if we do happen to put youth on there sometimes, but it's because of their merit, not because yeah. of the fact that they're yeah. youth. Yeah. I feel like the, I don't know how old this lady is, but um, youth today are definitely different from youth even 20 years ago. Um, really immature, not, not, in not all cases, but they're really immature. Like you got you got kids that are living with their parents still under their late twenties, and I'm like, what are you what are you doing? Now this is something I I need to do actual research on it, but I've seen some people push back against this notion that the youth today are especially bad by finding like news segments and stuff from early twentieth century saying the youth today don't know what hard work is. The youth today just don't have what it takes. They don't have the grit of what came before, and so the notion being like old people. Like you, you old curmudgeon, right, yes. have always been unimpressed with young people and concerned with their values and virtues. Uh, you know, you can find ancient literature with people saying stuff like this. Even knowing all that, I would still say the youth today are in trouble. They are doing very poorly, and it's not. I wouldn't put the moral failing primarily on them. I would put oh, it no. on their parents yes, and absolutely. their parents' parents who didn't hold the line. But I, you know, people who would gaslight us and say, no, 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 youth are the same quality today as, as they've ever been. Well, go ahead and put them on a committee and see how they do and then come back and talk to me afterwards. Yeah. It's, it's I mean, it's, I'm, I'm not putting it on the youth for sure. It's definitely their, their parents. Like my dad was born in 47. Like he was four. Yeah. He was 40 when I was, when I was born. So like, there's definitely a difference between how I was raised even and somebody that was graduated the same class as me that had a, a parent that was 20 years younger. Mm -hmm. Like, completely different. Anyways. The youth today. All right. I'm, I'm just an old man on the inside. Well, really. we already knew that, yeah. TJ. Um, okay, we're uh, now at the Pastor Parish Relations Committee. We've concluded the Nominations and Leadership Development Committee. Paragraph 345 is where we're at. This one details the committee that's, uh, I would call it essentially the Conflict Resolution Personnel Committee. Um, this is the one charged with helping everybody get along. Um, okay. And so we'll see. We'll see how it says it's supposed to work. Point one, as the charge conference determines, there may be elected annually by that conference a pastor parish relations committee or its equivalent composed of professing members of the local church or charge, or the committee's responsibilities may be assigned to a different group. Where the church employs additional program staff beyond the pastor in charge, the committee may be structured as the staff parish relations committee with the same responsibilities. So not pastor parish, but staff parish. P1, 
People serving on this committee must be engaged in and attentive to their Christian spiritual development to give proper leadership in the committee's responsibilities. In conducting its work, the committee shall identify and clarify its values for ministry. It shall engage in biblical and theological reflection on the mission of the church, the primary task and ministries of the local church, and on the role and work of the pastor and staff as they carry out their leadership responsibilities. Anything to say about any of that? No, um, yeah, it's a lot of words, but I'm glad that they actually like outlined it. Like, what was it you said last week? Um, I don't think you said it on the. Uh, you may have said it on the video or not. I don't remember. We were talking afterwards. Yeah. Um, basically, if there's a something to go by, mm-hmm. that's that's good. I don't remember the exact wording. Well, I, what I recall saying is this stuff is written down for churches that are not doing well. So if you have a structure that's working, you're never even going to have to look at this, although I'd still urge you to. But if you have a, a church that's dysfunctional, something goes wrong, then if you don't have something like this, it just turns into a power struggle. Right. Just, you know, this is how I feel, and I have more power than you. If you have something like this in writing, well, this is, this is these are the committees we're supposed to have. This is how they're supposed to be run. If you're not doing it, you're in the wrong. And right. if you didn't read it, that's your responsibility. It's your problem. Yeah. So in the United States of America, at least. No, but also with God's law, just because you're ignorant doesn't mean you're not accountable to it. Right. So we have things in writing for the sake of accountability. Uh, you know, and the continual frustration is they put things in writing that they're not holding people accountable to until there's a conflict. And then everybody's going, I had no idea. And we're going, well, that's your fault. You should have read it. You know, it's it's not a perfect system, but... Um, yeah, if you're going to be in leadership, you should read the documents that have power you power over you whenever things hit the fan. So that's one of the lessons of the United Methodist Church. For years, people knew about the trust clause, and they said, oh, that'll never be a big deal. Right. It was a big deal, wasn't it? It matters what's in writing, especially the most boring and detail-oriented stuff. That The devil is in the details. There's a reason why that's a saying in our language. And uh, for some reason, people just... Continue to refuse to learn that. Why don't you read point two? No staff member or immediate family member of the pastor or staff member may serve on the committee. Only one person from the immediate family residing in the same household shall serve on the committee. On the committee, the lay leader is automatically a member of the committee. So lay leader, remember, can also be the lay rep to annual conference, can be a different person, but the lay leader is the one that... Uh, is given automatic membership on all the boards and committees of the church. Church council chair has uh, the right to be at any meetings, but doesn't have a vote. Pastor, uh, similar, uh, is ex officio. For some reason, it didn't use that language for the church council chair. But here, you know, it's directly responsible for all the staff explicitly, and so you can't have members of staff households on there for obvious reasons of favoritism. One family just running the whole show. Well, and that was the second thing as well, is it, it, there anyone on there is going to belong to a household unit. You can't have more than one person from any given household serving, whether or yeah. not they're related to the staff. So, makes sense. Makes sense. Point three. To Go se- ahead. You know, to secure experience and stability, the membership may be divided into three classes, one of which shall be elected each year for a three-year term. The lay leader is exempt from the three-year term on this committee. Members of the committee may succeed themselves for a second three-year term. 
when vacancies occur during the year, the church council shall elect successors. Par for the course, what we've already seen with nominations, we're going to see it in other committees as well. So go ahead to point four. Four, in those charges where there is more than one church, the committee shall include at least one representative and the lay leader from each local church. Makes sense. If there's like a two, three, four-point charge, there is no church that's not represented in the conversations about resolving conflict. Okay. Point five. Five, the pastor-parish relations committees of charges that are in cooperative parish ministries shall meet together to consider the professional leadership needs of the cooperative parish ministry as a whole, or one parish-wide pastor-parish relations committee may be formed. Whatever. Yeah. yeah, Not, okay. Point six. The committee shall meet at least quarterly and shall meet additionally at the request of the bishop, the presiding elder, the pastor, any other persons accountable to the committee or the chairperson of the committee. The committee shall meet with the knowledge of the pastor. Only, only with the knowledge of the pastor. Oh, okay. The committee shall meet only with the knowledge of the pastor. The pastor shall be present at each meeting of the committee, except where he or she voluntarily excuses himself or herself. The committee may meet with the presiding elder without the appointed clergy under consideration being present. However, the appointed clergy under consideration shall be notified prior to the meeting with the presiding elder and be brought into consultation immediately thereafter. The committee shall meet in closed session and and information shared in the committee shall be confidential. So remember, this, this committee is responsible primarily for conflict resolution around the pastor and staff, although I would argue it should also be used for conflict resolution among members of the body, because there is no other body that is equipped for that. But it shall meet at least quarterly, whether or not there's been a conflict. It's just good to check in and make sure uh, that things are are going okay. Um, also, there can be no secret meetings from the pastor. Mm-hmm. They can be, they can, and well, it, the, the clear notion here is, well, it's something, I don't know if it ever says it explicitly, I mean, here or in the United Methodist Book of Discipline, all of the business done by the church should be done out in the open, right? except for by this committee. This committee deals with the stuff that's kept behind closed doors and confidential because it will deal with moral failings of the pastor, it'll deal with very bad behavior on the part of people that need to get along with others. I don't agree with it. I'm an absolutist when it comes to open meetings and not having confidentiality. But the whole point here is this is the committee that's talking about the really sensitive stuff. So, um, you know, if if somebody just freaking hates the pastor and wants them to get moved, you know, this is the committee that it'll be brought to and, and listened to. And so they're, they make clear, explicit, you cannot cut the pastor out of these meetings. You cannot do it. If there's a problem with the pastor, the pastor is going to be there to answer to that complaint right. and and answer for what they've done. And then there are situations where they might uh, need to meet directly with the, the presiding elder, but in those cases, the pastor still knows about it. There is not a scenario where this committee meets to talk about the pastor and the pastor doesn't know about it. Their pastor is never in the dark, which That's I think fine. is, yeah. Yeah, I like that. Makes sense. I know. I have no issues with that. That's unfortunately something that's really common in churches is for them to meet without the pastor knowing about it and the pastor being caught flat-footed 
when some decisions have been made that that they should have been included in. Right. So that's against the book of discipline, y'all. All right, uh, point seven, go ahead. Seven, in the event that only one congregation on a charge containing more than one church has concern, has concerns, has concerns it wishes to share, its member in the committee may meet separately with the pastor or any other person accountable to the committee or the presiding elder, but only with the knowledge of the pastor. So back to that, the pastor's still got to be involved. Exactly. Keep going. Eight, the duties of the committee shall include the following. A, to encourage, strengthen, nurture, support, and respect the pastor and staff and their families. B, to promote unity in the churches, church, churches. Mm -hmm. Uh, C, to confer with and counsel the pastor and staff on matters pertaining to their effectiveness in ministry, assessing their unique gifts and abilities, priorities in the use of the gifts, skills, and time, relationship with the congregation, the person's health and self-care, including conditions that may impede their effectiveness of ministry, and to interpret the nature and function of the ministry to the congregation while interpreting the congregation's needs, values, and traditions to the pastor and staff. All right, so take a time out for a second because that was a lot of words. The um, This is the committee that's responsible for evaluating the pastor and all the staff. This is the same committee that's also responsible for resolving conflicts? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So the Nominations and Leadership Development Committee is responsible for the whole body's gifts and graces, every member in the church. This one kind of overlaps with that by giving special attention to the staff and clergy, but this is the committee that's designed to... Um, kind of form a paper trail when you need to fire somebody. One of the weaknesses of the United Methodist Book of Discipline was it did not ever assign a committee or an individual responsible for hiring a firing in the local church. And so a situation I ran into in a, a previous appointment was we had a person that needed to go, but it wasn't clear that I could fire them. And there were people in the church who liked this person and we could not move forward because it wasn't clear who had the authority to fire. The Staff Parish Relations Committee probably does, but it never says flat out the pastor cannot hire and fire, nor does it say that the Pastor Parish Committee can hire and fire. It's one of these weird middle grounds where there's an overlap of duty, assessment of, of the ministry and mission of the church, but it doesn't say flat out, here's the person or crew responsible for making these decisions. Interesting. I would consider it a huge weakness. But, you know, it is what it is. Maybe maybe the GMC's Book of Doctrines and Discipline does assign a place, but... Um, all right, we're on point D now. Do you want me to read, or are you good to go? Okay. Uh, we're still on the duties of the Staff Parish Relations Committee. To provide, this is point D, to provide evaluation at least annually for the use of the pastor and staff to enhance their effective ministry and to identify continuing educational needs and plans. So that overlaps with the previous one. Point E, they have a duty to communicate and interpret to the congregation the nature and function of ministry and the GMC regarding open itinerancy and the preparation for ordained ministry. So itinerancy is something that they're still protecting in some capacity and uh, there's going to come a time where the pastor has to leave and the denomination is going to be involved in finding a new pastor. 
that they are going to be proactively engaging the church to accept that when the time comes. Um, point F, to develop and approve written job descriptions and titles for associate pastors and other staff members in cooperation with the senior pastor. See what I mean about not clarity about who's on top? Uh, the term associate pastor is used as a general term to indicate any pastoral appointment in a local church other than the pastor in charge. Committees are encouraged to develop specific titles for associate pastors that reflect the job descriptions and expectations. So in my previous appointment, I worked with this committee to generate job descriptions for this problem person, and he straight up said, not going to do it. And they said, okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was really frustrating. <laughs> I forget about this until I'm reading it. I'm going, that's not how it worked. And it was frustrating. G, to arrange with the church council for the necessary time and financial assistance for the attendance of the pastor and or staff at such continuing education, self-care, and spiritual renewal events as may serve their professional and spiritual growth, and to encourage staff members to seek professional certification in their fields of specialization. So churches have a way of getting greedy about their pastor. This one isn't. If I said, I need a six-month vacation, they'd be like, okay, have fun. But for most pastors, like, they have to fight to get free, to right. have renewal yeah. time or go to any kind of training. And if they're just fighting for themselves, that's not good. So this is the committee responsible for fighting for them and making sure they get the the care that they need. Well, it's good that they've got a, a specific committee to do that because, yeah, that would be hard if, if just the pastor's trying to advocate for a vacation and they're like, eh, you don't need one. Yeah, yeah. That's, that sucks. Yeah, and if a pastor is in a position, oh, please, please, can I have a vacation? Can I, you know, pastor isn't supposed to be a beggar, y'all. <laughs> All right, we, uh, G, I think we're on G, to arrange with the church council for the necessary time and financialist. Oh, no, 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 we just did this one. H, to enlist, interview, evaluate, review, and continue and recommend annually to the charge conference lay ministers and persons for candidacy for ordained ministry, and to enlist and refer to the appropriate agencies persons for candidacy for missionary service, recognizing that the GMC affirms the biblical and theological support for persons regardless of gender, race, or ethnic tribal origin or disabilities of these ministries. Neither the pastor nor any member of the Pastor Parish Relations Committee shall be present during the consideration of a candidacy application or renewal for a member of their immediate family. The committee shall provide to the charge conference a list of persons from the charge who are preparing for ordained ministry, lay ministry, and or missionary service, and shall maintain contact with these persons, supplying the charge conference with a progress report on each person. So there's a, yeah, there's a lot in there, and there's still a whole lot in this section. Is there anything in this section of the responsibilities of this committee that jumped out at you because we're running out of time? <laughs> we are running out of time. Um, no, I'd say we go on. You want to go through this whole thing? Uh, it goes, oh, shucks. Well, yeah, I think we can go. I can, I think we can do it in five minutes. We can do it. Okay. Let's go. Uh, point I, to confer with the pastor and or appointed members of the staff, it should become evident that the best interests of the charge and or pastor will be served by a change of pastor. The committee shall cooperate with the pastor, the presiding elder, and the bishop in securing clergy leadership. Its relationship to the presiding elder and the bishop shall be advisory only. I think that's saying that the bishop still gets to decide what he does. The SPRC is not in charge. The committee shall not be recommending 
not no shall not recommend to the presiding elder or bishop a change of pastor without first discussing its concern with the pastor involved. Okay, so that that deals with this scenario of people going around the pastor's back mm-hmm. can't happen. Um, this is Jay now. After consultation with the pastor to communicate with the nominations and leadership development committee when there is a need for other leaders and or church council when there is a need for employed staff to work in areas where utilization of the gifts of the pastor or staff provides an inappropriate stewardship of time. Hmm. I think it's just saying you got to target these guys and correct them if they're wasting time. I guess. That was the only substantial language that I noticed. I might be getting tired. Let's go on to point K. The committee and the pastor shall recommend to the church council a written statement of policies and procedures regarding the process for hiring, contracting, evaluating, promoting, retiring, and dismissing staff personnel who are not ordained clergy subject to Episcopal appointment. Until such a policy has been adopted, the committee and the pastor shall have the... (laughs) You see that? It's the committee and the pastor. It's not either one. It's both and. So... if the pastor disagrees with the committee, the pastor cannot hire and fire people. That's what it's saying here. Oh, so it's, yeah, you got to have the consensus of both in order to hire and fire it people? It sure sounds that way to me. <sighs> the committee shall further recommend to the church council, wait, well, where was it? The committee and, and the pastor shall have the authority to hire, contract, evaluate, promote, retire, and dismiss non-appointed personnel. Yeah. The committee shall further recommend to the church council a provision for the adequate health and life insurance and severance pay for all lay employees. In addition, the committee shall recommend that the church council provide an equitable pension with local church contribution for lay employees serving at least half time. The church council shall have the authority to provide such pension benefits throughout through a denominational pension program. So that's where we're dealing with do we offer benefits? Well, or, you know, retirement health insurance stuff to, to, church employees. Do I get severance pay? You are an independent contractor working part-time. So if you were to take on um, a staff position at the church, I bring it to the SPRC to seriously consider it, buddy. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Independent contractor. I forgot about that. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. All right. uh, This is letter L. Members of the Pastor Parish Relations Committee shall keep themselves informed of personnel matters related to the denomination's policies, professional standards, liability issues, and civil law. They're responsible for communicating and interpreting such matters to staff. Committee members should make themselves available for educational and training opportunities that will enable them to be effective in their work. Okay, and then point M, this is the last uh, section we're going to do today. To consult on matters pertaining to pulpit supply, proposals for compensation, travel expense, vacation, health and life insurance, pension, housing, which may be a church-owned parsonage or housing allowance in lieu of a parsonage if in compliance with the policy of the annual conference, continuing education, and other practical matters affecting the work and families of the pastor and staff, and to make annual recommendations regarding such matters to the church council reporting budget items to the finance committee. The parsonage is to be mutually respected by the pastor's family as the property of the church and by the church as a place of privacy for the pastor's family. The committee will follow up to assure timely resolution of parsonage problems affecting the health of the pastor or pastor's family 
the chairperson of the pastor parish relations committee, the chairperson of the board of trustees, and the pastor shall make an annual review of the church on parsonage to assure proper maintenance and give immediate resolution to the parsonage issues affecting the family's health and well-being. You know, all of these are in there because at some point somebody ran into some issue, and this is just the culmination of all those problems. Well, and and having known a lot of pastors and churches over the years, I can tell you, especially the stuff around the parsonage gets really hairy. Uh, yeah, I You'll imagine. find really negligent, negligent churches that are very resentful about taking care of the property. I don't serve churches like that. My churches are fantastic. You'll also find clergy that do not know how to take care of a property that they refuse to learn. They just, I'm in this to care for people. I'm not right. in this for house care. And um, I've moved into two parsonages now that smell like cat urine. Mm. That's a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, just people... My my grandfather used to have rent houses, and the house that I live in now used to be a rent house, and they just did not take care of it. The, the previous tenant, we had to rip out like... Flooring, all kinds of stuff. It was it was bad. People just don't know how to take care of houses in general. So I it's did, even worse when it's the a parsonage. I assume, though. Yeah, it's it's well. Okay, so I talked about this, and I, I did a segment on Westpath released a study on the mental and physical health of their clergy, and revealed surprise, surprise, they're very unhealthy, generally speaking. And the way you live very much affects that. If you live in squalor, your your other health metrics are not going to be doing as well. And there are a lot of pastors that do not know how to live. They're telling people how to conduct themselves spiritually, but they don't know how to run a household. Yeah. And I'm not even just talking about them. I'm talking about doing the dishes, not having your cat pee on the carpet, mowing your lawn. Um, uh, <laughs> there are so many things that go into caring for a house. And uh, so it needs to be spelled out here, the mutual respect relationship that takes place. But the the... Zooming out and needing to wrap this up, the Staff Parish Relations Committee is really important, especially in larger churches. You want to make sure that the staff are doing what they've been hired to do. Everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing. There's regular review and room for improvement and a paper trail for if you got to fire somebody. I, of course, wish that there were more explicit language about who has hiring and firing ability, one or the other, not both and, between the pastor and the committee. But yeah, you're you're totally right, TJ, to note that this stuff is all in place because these things somewhat regularly go wrong and there needs to be something in writing. Otherwise things can, well, they still do get really bad, but at least we know how to navigate them when they do. Right, right. So if you have a single board model, you need to make sure that all of these things are still being done and taken care of. Otherwise, these things have a way of falling apart. Proactive leadership is always better than reactive leadership. And that's what I hope it comes clear this is designed to do. So I don't know what the GMC's long-term goal is or vision is vis-a-vis -vis these, these different boards and committees. I know a lot of people got really turned off to how all this was spelled out and you got to tick all these boxes and stuff. But if you don't do that work, then I'm of the mind there's going to be a lot more dysfunction in the local church that we can't really navigate through when things get hairy. And you're of the same mind. Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's important if if you've got these kind of committees like whenever you meet, not every single time, but maybe once a year whenever you meet if however often it is, like okay, what's our responsibility? Are we doing this responsibility? Or are we are we doing this correctly? Mm -hmm. And you've got a place to look. So I think that's great. Yeah. Well, I'm genuinely surprised TJ doesn't hate this stuff. Oh no, I it's boring and it's just 
awful to me, but it's it's <laughs> necessary. <laughs> I feel like the book of doctrines and discipline is changing you. <laughs> I guess you're just so. getting you're loosening up. You're getting more. But also, I mean, a part of me is wondering if at the tail end of this, if you're going to be walking around with the transitional book of doctrines and discipline, going, <laughs> we need to get this whole place into compliance. Well, what are you guys doing? You're not doing it right. It says it right here. <laughs> you read this. <laughs> I I hope you've, uh, you know, if you've joined us for this, you know, I see there are probably a good solid 500 people that have been along for the ride with us in this. And um, if they keep a lot of this intact next year, I I reckon there's going to be a lot over time. I hope you've genuinely enjoyed it and benefited from it. I hope you've gotten a sympathetic view with, you know, this, this is the byproduct of hundreds of minds coming together who were, yeah, sure, some of them probably really persnickety and wanted to order everything and be super nerds. But a lot of them just saw how things can go wrong and wanted to be proactive in helping things go right. So it's a real tragedy that the United Methodist Church didn't work out. There were a lot of things that were very right about it. But, you know, as I said earlier, the devil's in the details. And uh, when you got people that are just refusing to abide by and and obey, whether the big picture doctrine or the small picture implementation of how to do things on the church level, there's going to be conflict and uh, people got to get loose. So anyway, the GMC is adopting a lot of this, and I, uh, coming back to it, I think a lot of it makes a lot of good sense. So um, yeah, the the way to wrap this up, I guess, is just to urge you, if you know of another church or pastor or lay leader that would benefit from knowing this stuff and walking through with us, go ahead and, and share it with them. Go ahead and subscribe to uh, Plain Spoken wherever you are. And if you want to support this ministry and help it grow and do more things to equip and empower the local church, then go over to plainspoken.locals.com where you can support my work and uh, uh, appreciate your time. I'll see you later.